This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. We're in the studio today recording our listener series. This is where we invite our friends of the podcast onto the show to discuss their personal experiences after having listened to the variety of topics we explore here at Champagne Problems. We're really excited to have these conversations as we feel it'll give our listeners, as well as ourselves, a genuine and real-time perspective inside what it's like to take a look at our relationship with alcohol, openly talk about it, and attempt to make some changes. I assume this is something many of our listeners are doing to some degree, or else you probably wouldn't be listening to us. So with that said, our first loyal listener and friend of the podcast goes by the name of Annie Morse. Let's go to Annie. Hello, Annie Morse. Welcome to Champagne Problems. Hello. It's great to have you on today. We're going to start by getting to know you a little better. We would love to hear where you're from, what you do, that kind of stuff. Yes. So I was born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. Went to UNC Chapel Hill. Go Heels. Go Heels. Then upon graduation, I moved right to Charlotte and um, started work at the Blanchard Institute, which is a dual diagnosis outpatient treatment center for mental health and substance use. Um, I have been with the Blanchard Institute ever since, so three years with it. Nice. Yes. Love it. Um, So I think last year... Um, I started working on my master's of social work. Um, I also have a KDAC I, so just working on a multitude of things. So how did you hear about champagne problems? Well, I used to work with the wonderful Miss Samantha Hampson. Um, and so obviously as she sadly moved to Charleston, I follow, you know, all of what you guys do. And I was super excited actually for this. I think that there is a gap in information on this kind of topic of the gray areas and just that exploration. And so I am an avid listener, but yeah, Miss Samantha Hampson. Annie, so one of the things that I'm really curious about is obviously, you know, we've known each other for a while and I know that that's probably one of the reasons that you started listening to the podcast and we've always chatted kind of about the gap in information between folks that are really kind of on the severe end of the spectrum and need full-blown treatment and then everyone else, right? It's like assumed that everyone else is kind of like a normal drinker with no real issues and really has no reason to take a look at their relationship with alcohol. And I'm curious for you, what got you interested in kind of listening to that side of the conversation, either professionally or personally? Mm -hmm. For sure. So just not my life story, but um, I grew up in a household. My dad has been in recovery for about 14 years, which is awesome. But I was never really a big drinker in high school. I was like always the DD, always followed the rules. And then I got to college. (laughs) (laughs) And um, my freshman year was a shit show. (laughs) I always valued my success on my academic performance. Um, And when I got to Chapel Hill, that really took a plummet quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I was doing terrible in all of my classes. Like I almost failed some classes and coming from a student who, you know, rarely ever got a B for her whole life. That was pretty detrimental. 
I was in a pretty toxic relationship and I just kind of went full throttle. I mean, I was drinking a lot, going out a lot, like never missed a Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, Pantana Bobs? Did you go to Pantana Bobs? Babs. I think I got kicked out of that place like every time I went to Chapel Hill. Oh, yes. As many of us do. So I think it was like Christmas and I just broke down to my parents and I was like, there's a lot going on here. I wasn't eating right. I've always struggled with anxiety and it's manifested itself in different ways throughout my whole life. Um, But just between the toxic relationship, not doing well in school, and at that time didn't know it, but just like what I was putting in my body, I was not, you know, on the best path. It took me a little while. And I think looking back now, did alcohol exaggerate all of that? Of course. Did I stay in places that I should not have been relationships, even like classes, because I was just too, you know, there was so much chaos and I couldn't grasp onto anything. You know, from there, I, you know, pulled back a little bit, was not sober by any means, um, finished out college, moved to Charlotte, you know, and I always, while I grew up in a household where like alcohol was not present, like my mom rarely drank even in front of him. Um, and so I moved to Charlotte and, you know, was in the social scene. I was like, let's go to breweries on a Saturday. Let's do this and this and this. And then I was just so exhausted. My anxiety was probably at the worst place it had been. Um, And I was just exhausted. And so, you know, Sam and I had had a conversation just around, you know, exploring what it what it could be, right? Like I'm having all this anxiety, like on a person to person level, like what could it be? And so we did just having someone to talk to of like, why don't you explore like, what is alcohol doing in this, in this current time? How is it affecting your anxiety? How is it affecting social situations? And so just starting to explore that. um, I think, Sam, on one of the podcasts, you were just talking about like, a social social situation, right? Like, can you go out? You can still dance and have fun with your friends, but does alcohol need to be present? And then it started, you know, that question started going in my mind. Okay, so when am I actually enjoying the people I'm around? Or when is it just the alcohol? Right. Um, yeah. And so in exploring that, I've noticed a shift, right? And that human connection in... I'm going to choose to go out to a fun, you know, 70s theme party and I'm not going to drink. Everyone else there is drinking, but I'm confident myself. These are good friends. I can still have an amazing time. And it doesn't really matter if alcohol is present or not. I, in college as well, I started having a lot of like stomach problems. I was not hungry ever. I always felt full. I started throwing up a lot because I was so nauseous all the time. (laughs) I went to a plethora of doctors. No one could really get an answer for me. They just were like, oh, you should, you know, never eat bread, cheese, (laughs) like all these lists of things. And I ended up calling my mom. I was like, how am I going to do this? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is so stressful. Oh, and man. come to learn it was my anxiety 
and what do we know is exaggerating that anxiety too, right? Anything like substances that I'm putting in my body. And so just taking a step back and really evaluating how is this affecting me and is it worth it, right? And the answer, more likely than not, is no. For you, do you remember back then, like, did any of the doctors or specialists ask about alcohol or mental health? Yeah, I was I was thinking the same thing. No, absolutely not. No, I was just some, like, young 20-year-old going into their office, telling them that my stomach hurt. I mean, they did, you know, endoscopies. They did scans. They could see, like, I had scar tissue all up and down my throat from the acid reflux and the throwing up, to which they told me, just don't eat, you know, gluten, dairy, like all this stuff. And it was so overwhelming mm-hmm. to me. Um, but no, no one ever even, they were just like, sorry, we really can't find anything. And then they prescribed me a medication that was $400 a month. And I was like, mm-hmm. why well, can't do that either? <laughs> Sounds about right. So I'm shit out of luck. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's powerful, Annie. Thank you for sharing that. We, we really appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that. That, you know, that differentiation between whether alcohol is exacerbating anxiety or it's causing anxiety is a very big mm-hmm. recognition, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you're, you're in good company. I, I had a very similar experience mm-hmm. in college where I just could not figure it out. But <laughs> it was very easy to figure out. I just wasn't looking in the right places. Yes, like looking yeah. back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that. That's right. <laughs> when would you say that you started evaluating your relationship with alcohol like at what point in that journey would you say for you you think that that curiosity started or that exploration started I think like contemplation was probably when I graduated you know you had your last mm-hmm. weeks of college and I was like looking back at it was like oh god I was like okay we don't want to be in that place but really when I moved here And then, you know, I was trying to be social. I have struggled also with social anxiety, unbeknownst to me until like very recently. Um, And so what helps social anxiety? We all know. I've been a drink or two, right? And then I wasn't getting fulfilled. Probably just like after a few months of that, I wasn't fulfilled. I was like, I'm exhausted. My work is, you know, work week, art weekends was a restful time. Right. And so mm-hmm. not that long after moving, I was like, okay, maybe I'll explore a little bit here. During that time when you, when you graduated and moved back to Charlotte, mm-hmm. were you having this conversation out loud with like any of your peers or family members? So this was, it wasn't something that you just kind of internalized and. So I internalized it for a little bit and then, um, I just kind of started to say like, Hey, would y'all, I love all my friends and I have a great friend group. There was a lot of people who came from UNC to Charlotte. Um, so I have a lot of social supports and I'm very grateful that there are people very like me that I came to find, um, who had that college experience. And then it's like, okay, well, what more? Right. And so we just started doing things on a Saturday, like going to a plant shop or whatever that were just not involving alcohol and I'm very grateful it opened a dialogue between a lot of my friends my girlfriends about okay let's do things that don't involve alcohol right that we can still spend time together and do and were were they cool with that yeah awesome you you have yes, good friends so <laughs> I know I'm so so mm-hmm. lucky um 
But yeah, it's like, let's stay in on a Friday night. Like, we can't do the full spiel that we all used to be able to do at, you know, 19. But we can still be with each other. Like, let's just watch a movie, get takeout, and, like, spend good time together. Um, So I'm very grateful that that was reciprocated. But it definitely was hard, right? Like, if I'm not choosing to go out to a brewery on a Saturday and drink with everyone until the wee hours of the morning, like, am I getting excluded? Like, right? Like, am I not getting the connections they're getting? And so there was a brief time where it was like, okay, what's the right equation here? Yeah. You know, was it 100% easy? No, but I'm grateful that I did have people that would want to go out and do, like, one would say, wholesome activities. (laughs) (laughs) Can you talk through that piece? Because I think a lot of times when we share kind of the evolution of all of this, we do kind of hit on and now it works for me and this is how I do it and it's great. And then I do think that there's a lot of confusion and loneliness and, you know, exclusion. Like, can you talk about some of the things that you tried that maybe didn't work so well or that you had a hard time really trying or initiating? Yeah, and it's interesting because um, because I work in the field, like just using some of those skills that I teach my clients, you know, I did at the beginning, like, oh, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you doing this? Like, let me buy you a drink. I'm like, no, I'm good with my soda water. And so just always like having something in my hand just in the beginning, right? Or just like that was something that I had to do. And that's unfortunate that there was still in those big atmospheres like, why aren't you drinking? Why are you doing this? What's wrong? What's going on? And that sucks that we have to ask those questions and that something has to be wrong for someone not to be drinking. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, over time, I was just like, okay, well, I'll drink soda water or ginger ale or something like that. And that suffices for me. But yeah, there definitely was a time period where, you know, I, even when I was drinking, you know, full throttle, I was never one to stay out super late. And so I would always go home, right? Like people would pregame and then I'd go home and sleep and they'd be out until the wee hours of the morning. So I would feel left out, right? You see all the Snapchats and Instagrams and it's like, I missed out on an amazing night. And then you catch up with them the next day and they're like, I don't remember anything. You missed nothing. Uh, (laughs) That makes me feel a little bit better. And then I can get up and go about my day at, you know, a reasonable time. And I'm not deathly ill all day long. So was there like a cutoff point that you found out through kind of these attempts of how much you could consume? Yeah, so it's it's funny because, well, not funny. <laughs> uh, we can laugh. We can laugh. <laughs> I like could drink a lot, but I would start to get dizzy and like already start to feel the physiological effects like before I ever got home. And so alcohol has like there's some things that I can drink like one glass of wine and I still feel like shit in the morning Uh and so obviously I'm to the point where that's not even worth it for me anymore and so it may just be like one or two or none it's a continued exploration I think but definitely just listening to my body and what it needs has been a huge eye-opener so the the cons are outweighing the pros here oh very much so yeah. I mean, do you, do you drink at all? I do drink some, but not like on occasion, occasion, occasion. And you're going to, mm-hmm. and you know, you're going to go in and, and potentially have some, some negative <laughs> consequences as a do, result. But you do it intentionally every time. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and really, I I just got a dog a few weeks ago. So that's also a nice excuse now or like a nice little out, right? Like, I got a dog, gotta go home to take care of the dog. Or like, you know, I I love that I can wake up on a Saturday morning at like 8 a.m. and then play with him for a little bit. And then we can take a nap in the middle of the day. And it's like, there's no guilt there, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Do you have rules, Annie? Like a, a lot of mine kind of developed early on when I noticed like the big, big bad mm-hmm. nights. Then I would be like, okay, I'm swearing off dark liquor, right? And then it was like, okay, no shots ever again. And then do you have any rules around drinking? I don't necessarily have rules. Are there things that I will partake in? Like, no. Like, I'm not a shots girl at all. Like, that's a hard no for me. Like, and I keg stands i picture you as like more of a keg stand kind of girl. yeah none none of the above (laughs) um ice luge (laughs) absolutely (laughs) behind us big Um, beer bong girl (laughs) i don't necessarily know if i have any rules um but it it honestly like it's just not that worth it anymore to me like yeah you know, I can have a few beers here and then, but like, I don't know. It's just not as worth it. I'm wondering how, you know, and you can tell me to shut up, but like, mm-hmm. it, I'm wondering how much your dad's recovery and, and you having like, you know, the a history of substance use in your family, has that impacted your decision making around this or helped influence it in any way? And has this, you know, you being more intentional around your drinking, has your dad played in any part in that with him being in recovery and, and you? So it's interesting. Um, we never really talked about it for a long time that he wasn't drinking. I mean, I experienced it. Like I have brief memories of when I was younger and what that was like. Um, I think he got sober maybe when I was 10. So I was still old enough to know. And I have a younger sister, so always super protective over her in that sense, you know, and that probably was a subconscious when I was younger and in high school. Like, I just, I don't want to be doing all of that. That's not, Mm -hmm. you know, I've seen what it can do and I don't want that to happen to me. Um, I also think, you know, just the, the personality that I, have and I was definitely the hero child and I surprise surprise was attracted to chaos right and like constantly attracted to people that I could fix as one would say (laughs) the bad boys (laughs) yep and so I constantly was surrounded by that I mean a lot of my toxic relationships involved a lot of substances that that individual was doing and so through experiences relationships with obviously it started out with my dad but then it just continued um with i don't want to ever that's not something that i'm interested in i think my relationships have shaped that exploration too and just is it worth it for me like what are the benefits here when you first called home freshman year in college, did you admit you were drinking too much? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> got it. Robbie did. Got no, it. No, I, not, not freshman year. No, I got in trouble over my, like, over something stupid over Christmas break. Like, first time home for, like, a month. Tell us a story, please. 
Come on, Annie. Come on. It's okay. I got in trouble with a boy. Oh! And everything just, like, flooded out. I just started, you know, bawling, crying, because up until I got to college, I was, like, the golden child, right? Like, I never got grounded my whole life. I probably got one B in high school. I played sports. I did all the things. I was involved in young life, like everything. And then I got to college and it was like. Pressure cooker. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so I just bawled and I was like, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm sleeping all day. I'm up all night. And it just like probably shocked my parents to death. But, you know, and they, they knew that something was not, not right. Yeah. And and so to kind of piggyback on on Patrick's mm-hmm. question, w- did your dad kind of intervene on on his past experiences and and you know talk to you based on his his wisdom in that in that realm? It's funny because it's it's just not something that we ever talked about as a family, and yeah. you know that's his business. However, you know would it be different if that had happened? Maybe, but maybe not. I think I scared them so much they weren't really sure what to do. Mm-hmm. It it didn't come out like all I really said was I'm really, really struggling with mental health. Like I'm not yeah. okay. Yeah. And no one yeah. knows. Like if that's your first time away from home, like they don't really uh-huh. know what your drinking yeah. looks like, you yeah. know? Oh, and God. that's tough because they, they're they like, she's not okay. It, you know, this is a huge life transition, not necessarily pinpointing mm-hmm. like, oh, it must be. Mm-hmm the burnettes or yeah and it's interesting because that was never even a question like there there were no questions of are you going out too much like that never even crossed their mind right right that's that's the fascinating part about this Mm because you've already said that one time about all the doctors you were meeting and then you know Mm -hmm. same goes with the family Mm -hmm. it's that's um um, it always interests me with this dynamic when you have like a family member that has past substance use issues and it's I, I can never there's not a constant way that I've seen families deal with situations like this or or how they address it. It's strange because it's like, you know, half half kind of, you know, are more overprotective and like mm-hmm. we got to intervene and then and then some just kind of we got to step away and we got to yeah. kind of see how this folds out. Mm-hmm. Um like they would have no reason to believe that it was alcohol or yeah. substances, right? Because they had never seen that from you in Correct. the past. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also such an individual process, and anybody who's been through that process often knows that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely a rub when you're a parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, some of those personal kind of protocols that you may have put in place might fall to the side when you're a loving parent. Yeah, exactly. That age group's tough, too, because there's a lot of assumptions around kind of what's normal Mm -hmm. at that, you know, like high-risk drinking is kind of normalized and that that's normal for your freshman year and it'll Mm -hmm. calm down or you'll get back on track or or whatever. I think one of the things that I'm wondering is more even for our listeners to kind of think about and maybe contemplate is just if you're going to doctors and you're going to specialists and you're going to your parents and no one's asking you about alcohol, how did you get to the point where you pinpointed that alcohol was playing a big kind of role in this or, or what helped you move towards that? Cause what I would really love is for our listeners to be able to also contemplate mm-hmm. that and, and just take a look at maybe that is a factor. Maybe that's something that's affecting them. What was that process like for you? So I'm very grateful for all of the wonderful 
colleagues that I have um, and that I've grown to be, you know, great friends with. And one of those people is a registered dietitian at Blanchard, Corey Thomas. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I, a little old me was like, okay, we've got nutritionists here. Let me talk to her. Right. And so she was so gracious to just sit down and talk to me. And um, because I was so overwhelmed when that doctor told me, like, you have to take everything out of your diet. And I just came to her like, okay, help me meal plan. Basically, that's what I was going to her with. Like, help me meal plan with all these restrictions Mm -hmm. I have. And she was like, okay, wait a second. Right. We're not going to do that. Let's do some other things. And let's explore those things first. And then let's see. And it was actually the first time she told me, did you know that when you make a really big life transition like this, it takes a year for you to really adjust. And if you're someone who does struggle with mental health, that's, you know, extremely heightened right in that transition. She really helped me to take a step back and not just look at the physiological, right? And let's look at the mental And then let's look at, okay, what else are we putting into our body? It could be counteracting, like your immune system. I was sick all the time. I had a cold and I was like, I can't get rid of the cold. I tried everything. Um, I went to an ENT. I went to an allergist. I was going to the GI people and no one had an answer for me. And so it wasn't until someone said, okay, let's take a step back. Let's look at what are we putting into our body? What's not being fulfilled? What's, you know too much going in. And that really gave me clarity to just look at it from, you know, more of a basic standpoint. And through that, just exploring, you know, what may work for me in one sense may not work for someone else. Um, And alcohol just became a part of that equation. And that was a question that she had for me, like, how much are you drinking? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like every time you go to the doctor, um, they always ask that question. And everyone's like, nope, not me. Oh, no. Couple. Not me. Couple. Not me. One or two. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, just being honest with her and saying, okay, let's explore that then. Right. Let's not, let's not look at it from a judgmental standpoint. There's no pressure on what it's doing to your body or not, but just explore it. What does it make you feel like? Right. How much is it impending on your next day? just really paying attention to my body was a a really good way of assessing is the con, what are the pros and cons and what am I choosing there? And every time I do choose to drink, if I, you know, go beyond a certain number, I know very well what the consequences are. Um, Mm -hmm. So just listening to my body and I'm very grateful to have that avenue of someone actually asking me the question and a really non-judgmental standpoint, right? There's no consequence to my answer. It's just let's assess. So I think that's the hope with the mm-hmm. podcast is that we're opening up that conversation so more and more people can have that either internally or externally um, because you're talking about a highly specialized dietitian that has experience in substance use, right? It's like <laughs> how many people are actually yeah. going to come in contact with that type of professional. Like you said, you had been to numerous others before that question was really explored and taking a look at what's putting stress on your physical body is different than just looking at what's already happening internally mm-hmm. in your body. It's like, yeah, but you're putting things in it that might be exacerbating. Maybe it is dairy. I don't know, but maybe mm-hmm. it's also mm-hmm. alcohol. Right. And it's such a fascinating thing that we skip over when it comes to, to mm-hmm. diet. For sure. 
Annie, have any episodes that you've listened to uh, stood out and, and you know, specifically you relate oh, to? yes. Every single one. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. There you go. Okay, um, wrap. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, <laughs> exactly what he was looking for. <laughs> Thank you. Next question. Um, I actually <laughs> loved the one that you guys did, or Sam, you did. What This one is for the girls. Love, love, love. And that's one, those actually like intertwined into that podcast are actually conversations that me and Sam have had before. Um, And, you know, I listened to it and I was like, every single one of my friends, go listen to this right now. Having, you know, (laughs) you said you laughed at being curious, but like, that's really it. Like, why are we not? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. what's what's holding us back from like, being curious about all of those things. And then I was listening the other day to Dr. from Brown University. Brewer, Dr. Judd. Like, obviously I'm in this field, but I have my own therapist, right? Like we're not the best clients. <laughs> um, yeah. So just hearing them. Yeah, we, know we already everything know everything. Know everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. meditate. Yeah, sure. Perfect. Got it. Um, and he said just the basic definition of what anxiety was of like fear and uncertainty. And that basic definition Mm -hmm. describes my whole life, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm so overwhelmed or was a work in progress, but of the uncertainty, I mean, I used to plan like there was no tomorrow and to try to grasp on to that bit, that monstrosity of uncertainty and you know the fear of failure was always super intertwined into my life whether it was academics or you know I always stuck by the rules I was always scared to disappoint other people um, and not follow through no matter what the cost was to me Um, and so those Mm -hmm. two combined you know just manifested into anxiety and that definition really spoke to me. It breaks it down really simply. I think it's the weirdest thing, Annie, because I totally relate to that. And in that sense, me being someone who drinks alcohol doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like when I drink, when I drink the way I used to, at least there, there is fear and uncertainty, even about how that night's going to go and how I'm going to feel the next day. And so it doesn't really make sense that I would even put alcohol Mm -hmm. in my body. And I think a lot of times now, that's what keeps me from drinking is I don't want the fear and uncertainty around how that's going to turn out or how I'm going to feel tomorrow morning. I know I would, you know, I used to always say to myself, like I wasn't, I never got to a certain point because it made me feel out of control and I hate to feel Mm -hmm. out of control. Um, yet would I do it again for sure. Right. Like my pattern, it didn't make sense. If I'm someone who that really impends on me that I'm not feeling in control, why would I do that? (laughs) Right. When you when you called all your friends uh-huh. and said, Hey, you gotta listen to the um This is for the Girls podcast episode, what was their response? Did 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 you have a pretty good did your friends respond well to that? Did they listen to it? Did have they kinda jumped on the same bandwagon? Yeah. And gotten curious about yeah, their for drinking sure. too? I think that even I will say. I did a I called it a summer series. I um, have a little sad Instagram platform just about health and wellness. And um, I actually had females in 
the professional world. I had Sam on, the nutritionist on, someone in finance, and that that episode actually really got me thinking about like where we're getting our information from, who's telling us these things, what information are we not getting, and why are we not getting it? So it actually, you know, inspired me to do a whole nother thing where let's talk about all of this stuff. And it was actually really well received, you know, especially when Sam came on and talked, everyone was like, she's, you know, saying things that I've been thinking for forever. Like, I can't wait to start doing things, going out, having fun without that present and just being curious. So, you know, I'm always one who loves invoking a conversation like that. Um, But it really did, you know, just jumpstart my brain across the board of where are we getting our information? Why is that relevant and not these other topics that are relevant? And let's bring more awareness to that. I think that was such a neat experience for me because what I didn't expect, the topic was really meant to be general mental health. And what I did not expect was for all of these women to show up in their early to mid twenties. And the conversation was all about alcohol and anxiety. Mm -hmm. That was it. It was, it, there wasn't a whole lot outside of that. And it was everything from how could this be impacting the way that I feel the next day or even the next week, you know, from fogginess to anxiety to lack of focus, but also conversations like, what do I do? How do I approach one of my friends that I think may be drinking too much or, you know, that this is kind of on everyone's mind anyway. And I was shocked that even though the topic was so broad that it became so pinpointed so quickly, even without them kind of being aware of what I do, you know, there's definitely mm-hmm. a need for that. That mm-hmm. conversation is mm-hmm. super neat. And I, I just want to pinpoint the aspect of community in this and, and how difficult it is to kind of become curious on your own and alone in the space. Um, and, and how much bigger difference it makes if you can bring your friends in to hold you accountable, to support, to, you know, continue the conversation. Has that been consistent for you? Do you feel like it, it's continuing? Because I, I, and I think, I think about this in terms of like dry January. It's like, oh yeah, you know, New Year's resolution. I'm not going to drink for a month. And then, you know, February 1st, shit just mm-hmm. goes down the tube. Right. And it's like back <laughs> January 20th. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Dryish January. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because after I did that with Sam, the conversation was like right, you know, it was heightened. People were ready to go. Has that trailed off a little bit? For sure. Um, but yeah. you know, it it is nice, right? That's so much better if you can go out with someone and you're like, that's that's who I'm gonna be with, right? Not someone who gets drunk and then leaves me. <laughs> it just trails off. Remember, yeah. you said you weren't going to drink. Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's nice to have that, you know, buddy or whoever to go out with, but it does ebb and flow, right? And, yeah. you know, is everyone on the same page with me all the time? No. But is that okay? Yeah. Have I gotten to a place where I'm comfortable enough and I'm selective in you know, the social situations that I put myself in where I know that I'm going to be intentional in that choice. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the key. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. It was just like you, every time that you do this, you, you come into it with intention. Mm-hmm. For sure. 
Annie, what are the things that you feel, you know, I think obviously we're trying to fill a a large gap Mm -hmm. in the conversation, but I think within that there's still some holes and I'm curious for you, what are some things that you would still like to hear us address on the podcast tools that you still feel like you don't have or things that other listeners may really be yearning for that, you know, we could touch on. Cause I think today, even bringing up kind of the Mm -hmm. physiological impact, gut health, all of that is super important. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, I definitely think that's important. And I always advocate for that at work and outside. It's like, unfortunately, you do have to be your own advocate when you're talking to doctors and stuff like that. And it it sucks that no one tells you, hey, ask these questions. Why can't you, you know, just because you don't have um, a medical license doesn't mean that you can't challenge their advice or add here or there. So I definitely think that that physiological piece is super important. You guys have touched on this, but just something that I've learned and continue to explore is it's so simple, but just the, the impact of authentic human connection, right? Like when I took away the substance, being able to evaluate what are those authentic human connections that I have and what's really important there. Um, and so I think you guys do a great job of that, of like, okay, yes, we can challenge the intake of substances and what they do to us, but then what's left and how do we explore that, which is something that I continue to develop myself and work on. Um, That's kind of where the relief of the anxiety comes in, you know? You get more comfortable Mm -hmm. in your own skin. Mm -hmm. For sure. Do you have any weird little like quirks that that you didn't expect? Like, I think there's the big ones, right? There's like, oh, I was sleeping better and anxiety and whatever. But do you have any strange little things? Like I noticed a lot of sugar cravings when I stopped drinking (laughs) or I noticed that my skin was clear or I noticed that I'm not as good at like dancing Uh at weddings. Like, are there any kind of strange, unexpected (laughs) discoveries that you've made? For sure. I'm sleeping so much better, you know my skin I can tell very easily if I have like one drink I can tell what that's gonna like I'm gonna get a pimple and is that pimple Mm. worth it probably not (laughs) (laughs) no but I think you know those basic needs that I didn't necessarily think to question I'm like oh okay (laughs) now I see they were not being met and now they are um and you know, that can go from like late night junk food eating, which is so great regardless. <laughs> it is interesting. I never have liked sweets, like don't like chocolate, don't like any of that. But like, yep, you're a weirdo. Well, I know. That's a problem. But over the past year, like I need dessert every single night. Ice cream. Yeah. A, a huh. Apple crumble. I need dessert. Mm-hmm. For you. Yes. An apple oh. crumble. You got a fancy version of home dessert. I'm loving that. Yeah, Martha Stewart makes a great frozen cobbler. You know, the first thing that popped in my mind when you said that was, as I often talk to people about what life is like when you remove, you know, certain substances, but ultimately alcohol, and you're left with... Apple crumble. Kind of a le- <laughs> less, you know, <laughs> less high, less low, mm-hmm. uh, you know, frequency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all seek rewards. Mm -hmm. We all seek relief. We all like things that taste good, that feel Mm -hmm. good, that sound good, you know? And so where do you find those things that, you know, you have to weigh out the pros and cons of pretty much everything that's enjoyable, Mm -hmm. you know, too much of anything is going to be detrimental to us. 
so it's really, you know, it's really interesting to, th- to hear that you did not like sweets before. You removed something that mm-hmm. gives you kind of a high. Now you found something else that gives you somewhat of a, yeah. a high. Yeah, that reward for sure. And it's so odd. Like, ever since I got my first birthday cake, I was like, oh, no. Yeah, I'm so shocked that you eat dessert now. I don't understand. Okay, we're not going to go as far as like, full throttle like I'm not gonna go eat a chocolate bar or a chocolate cake or a cake okay in general, but like I'll make myself some snickerdoodle cookies or something okay can crush Ooh, a crumble got it mm-hmm. Annie for you like thinking through the where to start like I think mm-hmm. it's really easy to kind of tell the story at this point when you are at a good place mm-hmm. and now you're kind of making minor tweaks and mm-hmm. for our listeners are there recommendations that you would give for a starting place and even mm-hmm. permission around like fumbling or failing through this I think you know like I said for me you know just why not try right like why not just explore once or twice right um of why don't you say you love going out on a Saturday to a certain place, right? Still go to that place, fully encourage, but just see what is it like if you have, like I said, a seltzer water instead of a seltzer with alcohol in it and just explore what that's like. Are your relationships the same that way? What are the benefits there? How do you feel the next morning, the next day? Are you well rested for the work week? For me, that was a big one. Like Mm -hmm. I was exhausted come Monday morning. And so just being curious, and it's not like you have to make this big announcement, right? By any means, you don't have to do that. But just being curious in small increments and really, you know, document possibly, like maybe you journal or something like that about, is it, is it worth it for you? And you know, you're, you're probably going to find some gaps there. You're probably going to find, oh, the situation was not as fun as I had, you know, thought. And maybe my Saturday mornings are so much better. What's fascinating mm-hmm. about that is the, the test result analyzation, you know, I, 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 because there's a lot of challenges. There's mm-hmm. a lot of discipline that we try to put forth to, to, like you said, just, just try it, just see what it's like. Well, what, what do you do with those results? What do you do mm-hmm. with how you felt about it or what you thought about it or what the whole mm-hmm. experience was like? Because sometimes people are mm-hmm. going to say, oh, you know, I connected better. I had a better Saturday morning. And then somebody's going to say that fucking sucked. I was miserable. I had an anxiety attack, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it went and horribly. So the, yeah. You know, looking at those mm-hmm. results, it's like, well, if, you, if it was that miserable because you couldn't have alcohol, there's something to look at. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That's data. So I have a lovely therapist myself. Um, and just being, you know, fully honest with her, you know, that's, that's, I found her a little bit after that I started that self-exploration, taking even like alcohol off the table and exploring my anxiety. Yes, I'm a professional in this field and I teach people about anxiety all day long, but it did it take her six six sessions for me to actually figure out how to decrease my anxiety? Yes. And so just having someone else help you be held accountable or just exploring or asking those hard questions or challenging, um, you know, I think you're playing a little bit with fire when like a friend is your accountability partner or, you know, sometimes that's hard, but, you know, 
that sounds so cliche. What are some other like health and wellness techniques that you've kind of brought in during this process that you found useful? Yeah, I think <laughs> it's funny because when I went and first saw her, I was like, I'm doing every single coping technique that I possibly could think of. However, I'm still having anxiety, ma'am. What, what do I need to do here? <laughs> this is um, bullshit. Please help. Yeah. Um, I think two things that I'm really implementing is human connection and giving myself grace for for me to choose when that happens um so just navigating like that social anxiety aspect a little bit um but really focusing on human connection and what I'm getting out of my experiences and relationships with people but also taking intentional time like on a daily weekly basis to really invest in myself whether that's you know, taking 10 minutes before the work day and doing yoga or taking 10 minutes and really planning. Um, and I've noticed how much my anxiety is reduced when I take that intentional time for myself. And I know we preach that all the time as therapists and it's really hard to stick by that, but it's so powerful and so effective. And we throw around that word self-care all the time, but kind of switching that to like, investing in yourself like that's an investment if you take that five minutes that's going to pay off so much more in your day so really taking that time to invest in yourself fabulous love it well annie we cannot thank you enough for coming on uh we really appreciate your 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 courage and your willingness to participate obviously a big goal of ours is is the normalization of this conversation Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the point of of having a, a listener series is to bring on you know, real people and have real conversations and make this okay to talk about. And I know we're all, we all work in the therapy world. And so it's Mm -hmm. a little easier for us, but having a podcast where obviously a lot of people that Mm -hmm. are not in this world listen to, you know, we we're trying to make it okay. So thanks for being a part of that. We, we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for Mm -hmm. being a champagne problems ambassador. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Awesome. All we'll get you some merch. Oh uh, yeah. Thank you, Annie. T shirt coming your way. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> the information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.